service will begin shortly, but we want to share a few announcements before we start. If you're visiting in person today for the first time, we would love to know that. So on your way out, stop by our I'm New Wall, located in the lobby. We have a little gift for you. If you're happy to be in the house of the Lord, can you just wave at us up here? Yeah, yeah. I hope you had a great week. Uh, God's good, and the sun is shining today, and what a day we're going to have just celebrating Him. Amen. Come on. Put your hands together.
shall be impossible. Your kingdom reigns unstoppable. We'll shout your grace forevermore. Jesus, our God, unstoppable. Nothing shall be impossible. Your kingdom reigns unstoppable. We'll shout your praise forevermore. Jesus, our God, unstoppable. Nothing shall be impossible. Your kingdom reigns unstoppable. We'll shout your praise forevermore. Jesus, our God, unstoppable. Nothing shall be impossible. Your kingdom reigns unstoppable. We'll shout your praise forevermore. Jesus, our God,
Stay seated for a second, or I'm sorry, just stay standing for a second. Um, just want to read to you in Psalms. Psalms 8 says this it's a Psalm of David and says, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth! You set the glory, you set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. And when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of us? Human beings that you care for us, but you have made them a little lower than the angels and you crown them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all the flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim in the path of the seas. Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. There's no one higher than our God. Amen. Father, Creator, you hold our hearts together. There's no one higher than you. Redeemer, Defender, our great and mighty Savior. There's no one higher than you. You are always with us. Gracious to forgive us by your power, we've been set free. And Lord, we stand amazed in your presence, astounded by your mercy and love. Our hands. 
There's going to be a lot of shouting, a lot of singing, a lot of glorifying the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. We better get ready for it because one day we'll be there. Amen. Come on, make some noise in this place as you're being seated. Give him thanks for what he's done and what he's going to do. Amen. Can be seated. There's a 50% chance that you could be in a serious accident. What would you think? All right, you would be really hesitant to go out and get on US 60. You'd maybe wait till everybody else left the, let them get ahead of you. And you would be really extra cautious because those aren't the normal odds, right? What, what if I were to tell you that this summer when you and your family visit the ocean, if you decide to go get in the water, there's a 50% chance that you're going to get bitten by a shark. Who's still getting in? Any, any adventure? All right, we got a few adventurous people. But, but the rest of you are like, I'm not going in. Like, you know, you're going to look around. And if there's a, another dude over here and he's in here, you're like, all right, dude, good luck, right? You're, you're the one, not me. If there's a 50% chance that something bad could happen, those are not particularly good odds, are they? And so when we hear the... Famous statistic about marriage and divorce. You guys have heard this, right? 50% of marriages end in divorce. Those are not particularly good odds. If you go to a, a couple of weddings this summer of friends of yours, you know, one of those couples, not going to really make it, right? A 50% chance that it ends in divorce. And so when we think about marriage and building a marriage and what this all looks like and what God has for us in all of this, one of the things I think we have to stop and kind of ask ourselves is, what are we doing wrong? Why do we so often get this wrong? And God, what is your intention for this? Because we seem to, to really be really be messing this up, right? And so, so some folks might say even like, well, why bother, right? There are trends now, the, mar- the, the divorce rate is ticking down, not because necessarily more and more people are, are not breaking up, but because more people aren't, aren't getting married. They're just deciding to forego marriage altogether, 
right? And just live together. And so there's this, there's all these statistics that you see. I was looking through a few this week. Here's some, a couple more that you may not know about. We all probably know the famous one about 50%, but 66% of men and 74% of women think that their spouse should have worked harder to save their marriage when they were heading for divorce. Here's one that that is, is startling. I didn't know this. Second and third marriages fail at a higher rate than first marriages. Second, uh, 67% of second marriages end in divorce and 73% of third marriages end in divorce. And so when you hear things like that, you're like, what, what is it that we're just missing? What is it that, that we're not getting right? Here's, here's something I want you guys to hear this morning. 75% of couples who, who ended their marriage said that it wasn't necessarily, uh, the number one thing wasn't infidelity or anything like that. It was just this lack of commitment. They just grew apart and they didn't see the other one fighting for the marriage like they were. They didn't see a commitment from the other one like they were committed to. And so they just, over time, they just grew apart. Two thirds of couples say when they do these surveys that they just didn't feel like being married anymore. They looked at each other and said, is this working out for you? Not really. Well, let's just go our separate ways then. And they do. And here's, guys, if your love, if your marriage starts to, to, to kind of run out of love, it's kind of like, think about a car. When your car runs out of gas, do you just sell it and go get a new car? No. You go fill it back up with gas. And so in our marriages, when we start to kind of lose that, whatever that was in the beginning, we have to work at reclaiming that. And so this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to give you guys three things. The first one's going to be practical in nature, and maybe you can take parts of this and apply it to your relationships as you leave here today. The, the second two are going to be more spiritual in nature. And, and here's, what I, here's who I am speaking to today. When we talk about a marriage series or a marriage sermon, it's like, okay, well, I'm not married, so I'm going to kind of you know, check out a little bit on this. But here's the deal. Everybody in this room knows someone that is in a marriage. If you're not right now, you know someone else that you love that's in a marriage, that's contemplating getting in a marriage, that, that is, is not in a marriage and wishes they were, maybe he's in one and wishes they weren't. I don't know, right? But there's all these kind of different things about like we are all connected because of, of marriage and relationships. And so if you're sitting there going, and one day I want this, if you're a young person or younger person, you go, what, is, what does God want for, for marriage and relationships? This is for you. If you're in the middle of a marriage and you're like, oh, this, is, this is kind of hard, harder than we thought it was going to be, well, this is for you. If, you're, if you've contemplated like going your separate ways, well, this is for you. This is for all of us, right? This is for, for every one of us because we're going to look at what, what God has to say about this and what we can learn from it and maybe what, what we can do to help, it, help make our lives and our marriages better because the, the way that we view marriage, the way that we view marriage between, and, and specifically what I'm going to, to be sharing with you guys today is in the context of, of two people who are, who would call themselves Christians. Because here's the deal. If you just want a, a civil union, if you just want to sign a contract, if you just want to say, hey, we just want to be married so that the state of Kentucky will recognize our, our marriage, our relationship, you can go down to the clerk's office tomorrow and you can give them 50 bucks and you can sign your name and you can have two other people sign their names. You can have some, you can have your buddy who gets an ordination certificate offline, stand to the side and go solemnly swear, boop, 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 sign the name. 
and that's it. You're done. You don't have to mention God. You don't have to, to mention the church. You don't have to invite a pastor into this. And so, so that's one way to get married. Good luck to those people. <laughs> but that's one way to get married. There's another way. And maybe a lot of you have done this. Where you invite the church and the pastor. And more importantly, God into the situation into the ceremony and so we're going to look at the difference in what the world looks at marriage and says it is and what god says it is because those could not be two diametrically opposed positions and views of what marriage really is and so here's the first thing i want to give you guys this morning if you're going to build if we're going to build a marriage that lasts one of the things i think we need to do is we need to continually pursue our spouse's heart you guys remember, those of you, like when you were dating in the, in the early days, everybody remember, like when you were dating and you, 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 this was like, this is the person, right? And, and, and you just wanted to be around them all the time. And like when you weren't around them, you just ate. You thought about them nonstop. You, you, you would go home, maybe you'd get on the phone and you'd be there as late at night and you'd be like, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up first, right? No, I don't want to hang up. You hang up. You know, all that goofy stuff that people do when they're, you know, when they're, they're young and in love, right? You, you guys remember all, you remember the feeling and the emotion and the chase, guys? You remember the pursuit? Like the pursuit of this girl and she was playing hard to get and you, we, we like that. We like the pursuit. We like, like, like this is, okay, this is a challenge, right? And, and then when you, when you get the girl or you get the guy, we tend to think that the pursuit is over. Well, we can just kind of put it on cruise control now for the next 50 years. And that's not really how it works. I'm learning this in marriage, right? Because that, that's not how it really works. Here's what I want to share with you guys this morning. We need to pursue our spouse. And we need to pursue them specifically in the, the words that we use. You, you think about your marriage. If it's going to thrive, you need to never stop pursuing them. You, we wouldn't do this in any other area of our life, right? If you want something, if you want your, your physical body to get better, you're going to, all right, I'm going to start working out. I'm going to start eating better. You know, that, that's when things start to get better. If, if you say, I want to be healthier, but, but you just eat everything in sight, you never go to the gym. Like, I'm at the age where, like, a season in my life, if I look at a donut, I gain two pounds, right? And, and, and so it's like, you have to work at this. And so if you're like, I want my physical body to be better, well, we all know we got to work at that. It's just not going to naturally happen. If you just ignore it, it's, it's going to naturally, over time and over a, a short amount of time, get, get worse and worse and worse. It's, your health is going to decline if you just ignore that. Think about if you have a, a business, if you're a small business owner, and you say, no, we're not going to worry about customers customer service. We're not going to worry about serving the customer. We're not going to worry about them. We're just going to kind of do our thing. If you do that, if you ignore your customers and the business, your business is going to end. It's going to decline. If you ignore those things that are important, it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Your yard, like this spring and summer, if you don't mow your yard, fertilize your yard, water your yard, you know, make your yard look, you know, pretty. If you just say, you know what, we're just, we're going to, we're going to take a year off from, from mowing the yard, right? By about July, <laughs> it's going to look like a jungle out at your place, right? And the neighbors are going to start to complain. You're going to get letters if you live in a neighborhood and all this stuff, right? When we leave something to itself and we ignore it, it doesn't get better. It gets worse. And so in marriage, when we kind of just take each other for granted and take marriage for granted and kind of cruise through things, it gets worse. It doesn't get mar- uh, better. So in marriage, here's one of the th- th- first things I want to give to you guys. Pursue each other with words. And so here's, here's kind of just a practical thing. When you think something, this next one, when you think something, good, there you go, say it. 
right? When you, when you think something good, say it. There have been times where my wife, you know, maybe we're going out to, to dinner on a Friday night or whatever, and she'll, she'll have her hair in a certain way, and she'll have on a, a certain outfit. And I've said to her, I was like, you look really cute tonight. And I know she appreciates that. Like she, she like, she, well, thank you for saying that. And, and so that's, I, I know that about her, that she likes for me to say those kind of things. There have been far more times where I've thought that as we're walking out the door, and I just didn't say it. And I look back on that and I go, you know, in those opportunities, when, when I think something good, I should, I should say it. Why would we ever, um, uh, why would we ever, uh, you know, just hold that back from a person that we love? We want to affirm them in the things that we say. And so when you, when you think something good, when, when you have this thought that comes across your mind about your spouse, say it. Share that with them. Don't rob them of that blessing of affirmation. Here, for men, here's what, what women uh, need from us. They need to pursue, um, pursue them with words of affection. They need us to say, I love you because, dot, 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 all right? Uh, Thank you for being, treasure her with with your words. Point out things that she does for your family or for you. Notice those things and appreciate those things and say, I love you because of the way way you do this or the way you do that. And so, men, when we are pursuing our wives with with words, we pursue them with words of affection. Ladies, here's for the guys. Pursue him with words of affirmation. Can I, ladies, can I just share something with you? Let me just be really vulnerable. I'll speak on behalf of, of all the guys in the room. And so if this is, if you're not this guy, then, then sorry, I didn't mean to rep- misrepresent you. But for the most part, guys, um, guys are really insecure. We're just really insecure. We, um, we want to be the best. We want to be the best husband. We want to be the best Father, we want to be the best provider. We, 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 want to, we want to do things, and we want you to be proud of us. We want you to respect us. We want, we want you to, to look up to us. And, and so men can be really insecure. A lot of times we don't think we make enough money. We don't think we're good enough. We know the, the deep, dark secrets, the things in our hearts, the, the, the thoughts that we have right? The things that we do. And so, so we, we, we are really insecure. And so here's what, here's what, what men are experiencing every day. They, they are facing, they go into a world that's going to beat them down and tell them they're not enough, they're not good enough and they don't measure up and all these things. And so the world's, the world's pounding on guys all the time, right? And, and so they don't need that. We, we, men don't need that when they come home. What they need from, 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 from their spouse, what they need that from you, from ladies, what they need is for you to, to, to build them up, to say, to, to affirm them in a way and say, here's what I see in you. When they do something that, that is, that, that you really enjoy, like point that out. Say, I, I'm, thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying, in that moment, stepping up and saying that or doing that. I really appreciate when you lead our family in that way. I really appreciate when you're the spiritual leader of our family. I really appreciate when you say this or do this. And so build your, build your husbands up, affirm them in those ways because, because men are really insecure. And so when you tell him those things, it, it's going to maybe lead him to a place where he's becoming the man that, that God wants him to be and that you want him to be. Magnify the positive in your husband. So here's the deal. Women, men, women want to know this. Women want to know, do you love me today? All right. Now I know you're like, guys are like, well, 20 years ago when we stood up in the church, I told you I loved you. All right. If it changes, I'll let you know. Right. That, that old joke. Right. 
like that, but, but guys, that's not how it really works, right? I'm learning this. Um, that's not, like she wants to know, like, do you love me? Why do you love me? What is it about me that you love, right? She wants to hear you say those things. So pursue your spouse, pursue your wife with, with, with those kind of words. Men, men want to hear this. Do you believe in me today? Do you believe in me? One of the greatest things that, that happens, like so for today, for example, if I come off stage or we go home or, or, or whatever afterwards and Melinda and I are talking and she'll say, I'm really proud of you. That was, that was really good. You know, today your, your sermon was really good. I really enjoyed that. I think a lot of people got a lot out of that. That means so much to me, right? You got, you could come up to me after and go, dude, that stunk. And I'm like, I don't care. My wife loved it, right? I don't care what you think. My wife, like, and so those people that are closest to us, those are the people that we, we care a lot about. Like, I care about what she thinks because she knows me a lot better than you know me. And so if she's proud of me in spite of me, well, then that means a lot more because you all just assume I'm a good guy. <laughs> all right? You don't really know me. It's a lot of you. You just assume he's a pastor and he's this and he's that. She knows me. She knows the good, the bad, the evil, the nasty. She knows it all. And when she can look at me and say, I love you, I I, I believe in you, I'm proud of you. Man, that gives me something that no one else can give. So pursue your spouse with those kind of words, with words of affection and with words of affirmation. Here's what we need to understand. God created us to be multipliers, multipliers. Repeatedly in scripture, God tells his creation to be fruitful and multiply. So wives, if you speak into your husband and you build him up and you encourage him, he will become the the more of the man of God that you want him to be. And then more importantly, God wants him to be. The blessings are going to pour from him because you're pouring those into him and they will be multiplied. Husbands, give your wife your love and she's going to multiply. Here's, guys, if you spend enough time with your wives, you know, it, it's amazing. She will, you, you give her your love and she's got this innate ability that God has only given her and she can create more people. It's amazing. Like, and women can only do this, right? And so when you, when you, when you spend time with, with your wife, a lot, of, a lot of good quality time with your wife, she's going to give, she's going to give you children. If she's, if she's blessed to be able to give that, like, that's a blessing, right? That's a multiple, like women multiply things. Now here's the, here's the other deal. Like if you give her a hard time, she's going to multiply that too and give you hell, right? <laughs> and so whatever you give, like that's going to be multiplied. And so we need to be multipliers. Husbands, be multipliers. Wives, be multipliers. Look at this. Look at this truth, these truths right here. Nothing could be more. If you don't get anything else, take this. If you don't like what you're getting in your marriage, look at what you're giving. Right? What, what, this is really working out for me. I don't, what, what, what's the deal here? Like, what, 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 are you, what are you giving? This is just a one-way thing, right? What are you giving here? Look at the next one. Your marriage will be a result of thousands upon thousands of little moments and little choices, right? Time after time, day after day, moment after moment. It's usually not this, this big thing that blows it up. Sometimes it is. But, but, but usually what, what causes divorce and separation for, and for us to quote unquote grow apart is, is, is thousands upon thousands of little moments and choices and opportunities. They can be good or they can be bad, right? And so every day there are these opportunities. What are you, what are you doing with those little choices and opportunities in your marriage? Your marriage will be as good as you both want it to be or as bad as you both allow it to be. Marriage is something we have to fight for. It's something that we have to work at. 
It's something that we have to, to be about as individuals and couples. And so if we just allow it to drift off into this or that, right? Then it just, it's going to get worse over time. It's never, it's never going to get better. It's always going to get worse if we ignore these things. And so that's the practical piece of this. Maybe there's some pieces of that that, that you can take home with you today. And you can use, maybe you can use this, some of these things when you're uh, counseling your kids or your grandkids about relationships and contemplating marriage. And we'll take some of that and share that with them. Maybe you, you'll do that when you do some, some marriage counseling with folks in the future. Here's the second, or the, the next thing I want us to kind of refocus on and kind of come back around to. In this series, what we we've kind of focused on is this foundational passage of scripture in Genesis chapter two. You've heard Bobby refer to it. Dave's referred to it. I want to go back to it today because it's really the, the cornerstone of what we're talking about in this whole series. And it's Genesis chapter two. And here, here's what's happening here. God is, is the creator and he's the designer and he's making, he's making it all. He's making everything that we can see and the things that we can't even see. And it says, then the Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper who is just right for him. And look at the next couple of verses down. It says this. So the Lord God caused the man to fall asleep. You guys have heard us talk about this the last couple weeks. Fall asleep while the man slept. The Lord took a, a man's rib, closed it up. And then the Lord gave him, uh, gave woman. He brought her to him, to the, the woman to the man. And this is the part I love. Look at this next one. Verse 23. It says this. And then G- Adam looks at Eve and he says, at last. Thank you. It's like he's saying, all right, God, uh, you know, that, that, uh, that giraffe you made, that was pretty interesting. Long neck, pretty cool looking animal. That, that porcupine you made, I got some questions about that. I don't really understand how all that works. The skunk smells kind of weird, but all right, it's your deal, right? And then it's like he's doing, creating all this stuff. And then, and then, here, then woman shows up. Then Eve shows up. And Adam says, at last, this one is bone from my, my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united. The two are united into one. The two are united into one here. And so what I want you guys to see in this is that God the creator, God the designer, comes up with the concept of marriage. The, the government didn't come up with it. Uh, there was no, uh, you know, first century ruler that came up with it. There's no ancient culture that came up with it. Marriage, the concept, the creation of it is God's idea. It is his He defines it for us. He designed men and women with very specific features and roles in this. He intended for marriage to be a covenant, a covenant between a man and a woman, a promise made and and kept. It's his idea, and he's the one that gets to make the rules. He's the one that gets to define it. Here's what's kind of happened in, not, not, not kind of, this is what's happened in society, right? We have realized because of, of how hard this is, well, this is so hard. Let, we got to change the, we got to change the parameters. We got to change the rules. We got to, we got to, like, we got to change the, 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 the game here because we're not doing, so we're just going to change it. And, and like, all right, it can be this and, or it can be that, or it can be whatever you think it is or whatever they think it is, or this state can say this, or this country can say this. And, and and so we forget, a lot of people forget, that no, 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 this isn't ours to redefine. This isn't ours to redesign. This is not something that man came up with. This is something that God created for his creation. 
And so I would hope that you wouldn't take marriage advice, right? I hope that you wouldn't take marriage advice from your buddy at work who's like on his third marriage, right? You wouldn't do that. You guys are smart people. You're not going to take financial advice from your neighbor who just got his truck repoed. You're not going to listen to that guy about finances because he doesn't seem to have his life together. And so wise people will look to the creator and the designer for the answers, not a dark world that has corrupted God's divine intention for marriage. And here's what you need to hear. God has a very specific design and intention for marriage. And so I want to give you two more things, like I said, that are going to be spiritual in nature. The first one is this, is that what we, if you are a follower of Christ, and I'm going to assume that the majority of us sitting here this morning are, that the, the, your goal should be to have a Christ-centered marriage. A, a marriage that consists of two people who are seeking the one. Christ being at the center of this, that he is the one. You know, there's this myth of the one. Craig Rochelle calls it the myth of the one. You guys may have, may remember, uh, 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 some of you that are a little bit older, this is, I think this movie came out like the, the mid, uh, early 90s. Uh, it was uh, Jerry Maguire. And it's, uh, there's this famous quote in Jerry Maguire where Tom Cruise, there's a picture here, I think it's coming up next. Where Jerry Maguire, uh, Tom Cruise was playing this, Jerry, this guy, this, uh, Renee Zellweger, and there's this scene. I don't know if you've seen this movie, but there's this scene. This is the first time I really heard, heard this kind of thought kind of gain traction. And, and he looks at her and he's all Tom Cruisey with his eyes and with his intensity. And he's doing Tom Cruise things on scene, on the, on, on, on camera. And, and Renee Zellweger, and she's just melting, right? And there's this romantic scene. They're standing in her, in her apartment and, and he just looks at her and he goes, you complete me. Right? And it's this idea that you need this other person to make you complete. Right? You, you need someone. You have, to, you have to find the one. You have to find your soulmate. There's this, oh, I gotta, I gotta find my soulmate. And if I don't find my soulmate, I, they're out there. I know they're out there. I'll just keep looking. My soulmate, my soulmate, the one, the one, the one to completely, completely me. The one that makes me whole. Here's the deal with soulmates. I think I've said this before. Is that if, 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 we, if it's true that we all just have a soulmate, you realize the first person, the first time the, uh, a couple doesn't marry their soulmate, it knocks it all off for the rest of us, right? Because they took somebody else's soulmate. And then if they took your soulmate, then you took somebody else's soulmate. You realize how this domino effect happens? And so that, that just, the fallacy of that is goes right out the, the window with that thought, right? And then there's this idea that like you need someone else to complete you. Don't, don't put that pressure on another individual, to, to, to make you whole, to, to make you complete, because they can't live up to that. They will never live up to that. So many people go on this search for the one, the one to complete me. And so here's what I, I want you to think. Instead of thinking, hey, I'm looking for the one, or I've found the one, think this instead. I've found, I found the two. All right, I've found number two, because number one should be Jesus. You're, you're looking for, for the second one. You're looking for the second person that you're in love with. And so, in a Christ, look at this next thing. It says, in a, in a Christ-centered marriage, Jesus is the one and your spouse is the two. So you're looking for, if, if you're not married yet, you're looking for, for number two. You're looking for that second one. The one that to be second on the rung. Look, look at how, how Jesus described what the most important things in our life are for those of us who are followers of Jesus. What's it look like to be Christ-centered in your, in your life and in your relationship? He said this, 
Someone said to Jesus, teacher, what's the greatest command? Look at this next slide. Teacher, what's the, the most important command in the law of Moses? What's, Jesus, what is it? What do we need to figure out? There, there was over 600 Jewish laws. What's the most important? Jesus, here it is. The most important thing, you, you, if you get this right, you get this right in your life, and you get this right in your marriage, there will be a lot less issues. Love the Lord your God. Feel, feel the, the weight of these next few words, right? Not, not just like, you're not just playing like patty cake with God, right? You're not just doing it on a Sunday morning. You're not just kind of messing around with God. It's, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And so Christ-centeredness in our lives and in our marriages looks like that. Because there is something, there's something at the center of your life. As you sit here today, you could, you, you, and you can only answer, maybe your spouse can answer, and they would be pretty close, but like, what is it that like, is the, what are you um, focused on? What are you en- encompassed by? What, 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 is, what has all of your attention? What, 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 gives, what, what sucks all of your money in that direction? Right? What, 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 is it, what is the thing that you are focused on. And once you answer that, it's going to affect these things. Your values and your beliefs are going to be directly related to whatever you put in the center of your life. Your values and your beliefs. And then that's going to affect the next thing, your actions and your decisions. So whatever you hold at the core of who you are and what your marriage is about, it's going to affect your values and your beliefs, your actions and your decisions. And then the last one, it's going to affect... We got it. There you go. Influence and impact, right? And so what is it that it's... Go, go back. Whoa, we, we jumped way ahead there. Go back. What is it that's at the, at the center of, of your life? Now, the next one. Is it self? Is it, is it you? Are, you? are you in a self-centered relationship where you recognize that it's all the reason why this isn't working is because it seems like everything's focused on like they want it's all focused on them right and if it's a self-centered relationship and it doesn't feel like it's all focused on them then guess who it's probably focused on probably all focused on you right and so if you've ever been in a self-centered relationship where you know the other person is only out for themselves that is not a place where you want to be whether it's your marriage or at work or or a friend or whatever if it's always centered around someone right then then the values and beliefs and actions and decisions your influence and impact that's going to be so short-sighted it's going to be so short-sighted if your focus is always just on yourself look at the next one sometimes in in marriages the the focus of everything the decisions, the actions, the impact, the influence, all these things, it gets, it's focused on our kids. And it's well-meaning. You want to be the best dad you can possibly be. You want to be the best mom. You want to, you're going to do everything for your kids that maybe you didn't, you didn't have for you growing up. And so you so everything and everything is focused on the kid's calendar, on the kid, what the kids want, what they desire, what, what their life is about. And so it's go, go, go all the time. And the kids are at the center of your universe and at their center of your marriage. And, and after a while, when you, when you get to a place where, where, where they grow up and, and, and they leave and then you look at your spouse and go, now what do we do now? Because our lives, the only thing that really mattered for the last 18, 20 years 
are, are, we're the kids. Now what do we do? We feel so disconnected because this has been the center of our lives. God, God does not, his intention is not for your kids to be at the center. Your kids should never rank ahead of your spouse. And if they do, guess who knows it immediately? The kids. Like at two. They know they've got dad wrapped around their finger, right? The little girl that's got dad, they know it. They can sense it at like two years old. And they know growing up, they're like, guess who who calls the shots in this house? We do, right? It's all about us. All the money gets spent on us. All the attention gets spent on us. The calendar is consumed by our activities and our wants and our desires. And you wake up one day and you wonder where your marriage is gone, right? Because it was all focused on on this. Look at the next one. Maybe it's a, a lifestyle, right? Maybe it's like, all right, we want this house. We want to live in this neighborhood. We want to drive these kind of cars. We, we want to have this kind of a job. And we, we, want, we, want, we, want, we want this prestige. We want this lifestyle. And we're going to chase after that, you know, day after day, week after week, month after How much money can we possibly make? What's enough? Just a little bit more, right? And so you make and you make and you make and you earn and you earn and you earn and you work yourself to death and you get to retirement and you look around and you go, I've got all this money. I've got all this opportunity. I've got all this time now, but your marriage ended a long time ago because something else was at the center of your life. Or the last one, you can, you can say, Jesus, I want you to be. I, I want you to be the center of everything. I want to love you with all my heart and all my soul and with all my mind. I want my values and beliefs and my actions and my decisions, my influence and my impact. I want that to all reflect what's at the core of my life. And it's Jesus. And so when you are Christ-centered, Jesus influences your values and your beliefs, which influence your actions and your decisions, which ultimately lead to a life of, of impact and fulfillment. Let me say something to, to single people. If you are sitting here this morning and, and you are single, if you desire a Christ-centered relationship one day, live a, a Christ-centered relationship today. Don't, don't wait to get married, to start thinking about some of these things. Do it today. If you plan on honoring God by putting him first in a, in a future marriage, honor God by putting him first today. I remember several years ago, I was talking to a college kid, a college guy, and we were just talking about what God was kind of doing in his life. And I knew he wasn't doing and, and kind of where God want, would want him to be in his life in, in college. And I said, dude, dude, what do you want for like a future, like marriage for a wife? And he's like, well, I, I would love, I want to find a, a woman who is a virgin. I want to find a wife that saved herself from marriage. And, and we had just talked about how many women he had been with in the last two or three years in college. And I'm like, dude, so you want her to save herself, but you're not willing to make the same commitment? And so here's what I, 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 I shared with him in a, in a roundabout way that day. I don't think I'll verbalize it this exact way, but here's, here's what you need to understand. You won't build a life of righteousness in the future on a foundation of sin today. So if you're single, right? If, if, if you're, look at next, the next slide here. If, if, you're, if you're single, I think our slides are asleep today. Wake up there. We don't have it. If you honor or if you build a, a life of righteousness in the future on a, a foundation of sin, that's not going to work. And so here's what I want to share with you. Don't wait for someone to complete you and then focus on Jesus in the future. Start today. 
Here's what you need to hear. Don't give someone your heart if God doesn't always have theirs. Right? Don't, don't give some, if you're, if you're dating or, or want to be dating, don't give someone your heart if God doesn't have theirs. If they aren't pursuing Jesus, then they aren't worth pursuing. And so share that. If you're, a, if you're someone who's, who's trying to uh, counsel a, a young person who's, who's dating, contemplating dating, dude, look for, look for, a, look for a, a woman, look for a young lady, look for a girl who loves Jesus with all of her heart. The, 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 the number one thing that I pray for my boys, above all else, I mean, I want their, their, their future wife to be pretty so that we'll have cute grandkids, right? <laughs> but the most important thing I want for them is to fall in love with a young woman who loves the Lord first. First and foremost. So, so don't waste your time pursuing someone if they're not pursuing Jesus. So how do we live a Christ-centered life? Well, we spend time with him. We focus on him. Let me share one more uh, little diagram here with you guys uh, as we kind of uh, get ready to wrap this up. L- look at this. We share this in, in, a lot of times in, in, in premarital counseling. And, and this is just a simple thing. You've seen, maybe you've seen something like this in different forms before. But, but it's just this idea that if, as in a relationship, in a marriage, right? And so a husband and wife start out, and this distance, this doesn't necessarily represent um, anything negative. It just represents like that you're starting out in life. And so there's this, there's this connection that, that spans this, this, you know, this amount of time. And what happens over time is what, what we encourage people to do is to say, hey, here's what you focus on, right? Here's what is at the center of, or here's what is at the top. Here's what is at the top of your focus. If you will keep your eyes on Jesus, right? And look at the next one. As, as she maybe, for example, the wife continues to grow, right? And she's like this, this, this vertical relationship that she's working on first and foremost with Jesus is here. And then the husband's over here. He's lagging a little bit behind because he's just a little bit slower. He's not as spiritual yet, right? So he's over here, but she's growing closer to Jesus. And then look at the next one. And then, and then he realizes, man, she's really, she's really focused on the Lord. And so, I, you know, I, I want to focus on the Lord too. And so he starts this relationship with the Lord. And so now they're growing and then look at the next one. And then they get to this place to where they've, he's caught up with it, right? And so this distance has decreased because now they're focused on Jesus and they're trending in the same direction. And as they grow closer to the Lord, look at what happens with the last one. It's amazing how they grow closer to one another. And so if you want to focus on, on your marriage and say, I want, I want, to, I want a marriage that, that as we, I want us to get closer. I want us to be more intimate. I want, I want us to grow closer together and, and be, feel more connected. The first thing you have to do is focus your attention on the Lord. And, and then it's in this Christ-centered marriage where two people have said, hey, we are both believers. Hey, dude, you need to step it up. I want you to focus on Jesus as I focus on Jesus and I'll meet you at the top. Right? I'll meet you there where, where Jesus is going to be. And, and so there's, here's the last thing I want to share with you this morning. In the Bible, when God is serious about relationships with people, when God is, is serious about what he wants to establish, he makes a covenant. He, he, he doesn't uh, set a contract, but he makes a covenant with his people. And here's what a covenant is. A covenant is a relationship between two partners who, who make binding promises to each other and work together to reach a common goal. They are, uh, they are often accompanied by oaths, signs, and ceremonies. 
Covenants define obligations and commitments, but they are, are different than a contract because they are relational and personal. God is in the business of making covenants with his people. In the Old Testament, over and over and over again, God, God made covenant. He made a covenant with Noah. He made a covenant with Abraham. He made a covenant with Moses. He made a covenant with David. And he made a covenant with us through Jesus. God makes these covenants. And when God speaks of covenants, he's serious about them. He he is serious about the promises that he makes with his people. And he's also serious about the promises, the covenants that we make with one another. You see, Christian marriage is a covenant that is bonding and unbreakable and irrevocable. That that's not those aren't that's just not my idea. I, this this is God's view of this. For two people to stand in a church or by a lake or wherever wherever you got married and you invited friends and family, and you were a follower, and they were a follower, and your preacher was standing there, and he he talked about the Bible, and he talked about Jesus, and he talked about marriage, and how God created it, and ordained it, and established it, and you stood there on that day. This was not a contract that you signed. This was not just some civil thing that happened, right? That you can just like, hey, is it working out for you? You know, 20 years now, not me. Like, hey, let's, let's just kind of wash our hands of this deal and we'll go on our way. No, 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 no. That, that is not, not how God views this. So like I said before, if you want that, then go do that. But, but if you want this, look, look, at, look at how God views this. Uh, marriage, marriage establishes Oneness. Something very spiritual happens. Don't miss this. Look back. Remember back the, the, the Genesis chapter here? Look at this again. The, the, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will become a woman because she was taken from man. This, this oneness that happens. Look at the next passage. Have you not, this is Jesus' words in Matthew 19. Have you not read, Jesus said, that, that we have been, we've made them at the beginning, made them male and female? Jesus said, you guys have heard this. He's telling the, the, his, his Jewish audience, you guys remember when we, uh, back in, the, in Genesis, this was said, right? He said, for this reason, man shall leave his father and mother, they be joined, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together. What God has joined together. What God has joined together. Let man not separate. And so this is different. This is not what the world's view of, of marriage and relationships is. If you're a Christ follower, if you, have a, if you desire a Christ-centered relationship with him and a Christ-centered marriage, this is, this is a whole different Deal, And so the way we view marriage matters because it's a serious matter to God. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus makes this primary, he says, this is the primary purpose of marriage. He makes it very clear. It's about two lives becoming one, right? The two are, 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 are one, into one, since they are no longer two, but one, one spirit. Let no one split them apart. God has joined this together. So then when the Holy Spirit, when two Holy Spirit-filled people become one with each other. God enters the picture and his ultimate purpose for marriage is revealed. Let me share this with you and I'm done. 
Here's, the, here's God's purpose for marriage. God's purpose for marriage is to be a picture of his love to a watching world. God's purpose for your marriage is for it to be this picture to a watching world that says, yeah, we, get, we know what marriage is. No, no, you have no idea what marriage is. Do you know, you know, if you, ever, you know a couple, maybe you guys know how your parents, grandparents, when you meet somebody that's been married, oh, I don't know, 40, 50, 60, 70, a lady came up Thursday night and said her grandparents have been married for 71 years. 71 years. That is... That is a miracle. That is, that is of God. That is not of this world. Because if they were living of this world, they would have, they would have gone separate ways 30 years ago, 40 years, right? They'd have been like, all right. But they, the, that couple, I, I suspect that couple stood before God and they knew they were making a covenant promise to one another before God. And, and so you're, you're, God's got a purpose for your marriage. The purpose for your marriage is to be light in the dark world. The purpose for your marriage should reveal God's love to a world that does not yet know him. In a marriage ceremony, here's what you're saying. You're saying this. You're saying, I do, but you're also saying, I die. I die. My, myself dies. It is not me anymore. It is us. It is this oneness. Now there are three people in one. You're the husband, the wife. And God himself. And what God establishes, let man not separate. And so when we want to build a marriage, we want to build a marriage that lasts. Here, here it is in a nutshell. If you want to build a marriage that lasts, never stop pursuing your spouse. If you want to build a marriage that thrives, keep Jesus at the center of everything. And if you want to build a marriage that stands the test of time. Keep your covenant to your spouse and to God. And, and so my prayer for us, for those of us who are, who are in these marriage relationships right now, maybe you're sitting here going and you feel like you feel beaten up. Or, oh man, I, I screwed that up in the past. I, I really messed that up. Here's the great thing about our, our Lord God. He's graceful and he's merciful. And he forgives us. And maybe you're sitting here today and you're going, you know, I never really looked at it that way. That's, that's serious business. I realize now how God sees this and how he views it. This wasn't really as much about the two of, the, two of us as it was about <laughs> me and God. And so maybe you get that now. And he, he's a God that gives us opportunities to get this right. And so my prayer, my prayer in the last two or three weeks when I've been studying and praying and thinking about this, I, 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 was, I'm, I was not looking forward to this weekend. I'll just be honest with you because I, I feel so vulnerable. I, don't, I feel like so inadequate a lot of times as a husband. And I was like, why, God, why do I have to preach on this? Because, but I've learned so much. And I've been so compelled. And God's changed my heart just in the last two or three weeks. And some of the things I've shared with you, this wasn't a sermon necessarily for you as much as it was for me today, right? Maybe you got something out of it too. So maybe there are bits and pieces of this where we say, God, refocus me, recenter me. I, I realize what this is. And so when I want to take a, a, a sharp left or a sharp right in this situation, no, no, no. We've made a commitment. There's a covenant that's here. It's established. It's before God. Let's build a marriage that way.
Would you guys pray with me? God, thanks for today. God, I thank you for the opportunity this morning to gather in this place to talk about what it looks like, what, what you've established in marriage, what you want for us and from us and expect from us. And uh, God, the, the, when, you, when you make a covenant, when you make a promise, you're serious about it. And when we make those as well, um, your expectation is for us to understand how serious they are as well. So God, help us. Because like we said at the beginning, we, we don't get this right a lot of the time. We mess up. We fall short. We, we are broken people. But God, you are a sovereign God. You are our Savior. And you created something beautiful and, spe- and precious and holy. And you gave it to us. You designed it for us to live in it, to flourish in it, to enjoy it for a lifetime. And so God, help us to to see that. Help us to view it the way you view it and to hold it up the way you hold it up and to understand what you've established. God, my prayer this morning is that if there's a, a person in this room that when they hear us talk about what it looks like to be Christ-centered, they, they want that, but they don't have that yet because they haven't given themselves to you yet. God, that they would do that today before they leave this place. That, that we would all walk out of here different because we, we are centered and focused on you. We're not focused on ourselves. We're not focused on other people. We're not focused on a lifestyle. We're focused on you. We're going to keep our eyes on you. And we know that if we're faithful in that, you will be faithful in everything every area and aspect of our lives. So God, we thank you for being that kind of a God. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you guys stand with me? It's time for us to move. We're going to move to grab our communion. If you guys want to give an uh, offering, you're free to do that today. Let's, uh, let's move and sing. Uh, let's get ready for, for offering this morning.
seat. Luke chapter 22, Jesus establishes a new covenant. You mentioned that God's in the business of, of establishing covenants with his people. In Luke 22, Jesus establishes a covenant with his blood. And he says, this is my new covenant to you, my followers. This is my promise to you that when you take this When you remember this, you will remember what I've done for you. The promise I've made to you that someday, if you are my followers, if you walk in my ways, you will have an eternity that is in heaven with our Lord. And so we take this bread that reminds us of a body that was broken on a cross that establishes a covenant. We drink this juice that reminds us of His blood that was shed for us on that cross. A new covenant.
Now, I believe we have a couple of baptisms to celebrate. Hey guys, uh, this is Harlan, uh, and I'm so proud of him, except I gotta bust him in front of you guys, because when Harlan first told me he was ready to get baptized, it was like in November at, the, uh, at a men's prayer practice, and he was gonna do it in the pond behind the house. Dude, we could have still done it there, but he said mom wouldn't go in the pond today, so we're going to do this. We're going to do this. So, and I've, I've known Harlan since the day he was born. Uh, I know this whole family and this whole crew down here, and I saw Harlan back there, just how special he is. His grandma and grandpa, where, where are you guys keeping Debbie? They like drove, like part of his grandparents drove from Florida to get here today. Dude, that's how much that I just want you to know that's how loved you are. And as much as they love you, I want you to know that God loves you even more. God gave his son for you. And this is the best thing you could ever do. So I want to ask you to repeat after me, Harlan, what I know you believe about Jesus. Just repeat after me. I believe, I believe. that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus Christ. The Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. And I accept him. I accept him. As my Lord and Savior. As my Lord and Savior. Because of that, your mom's going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of all your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life. church. I have uh, Emma here with me today. She is my son's girlfriend and we met about two years ago. I think when we first met her I think immediately I called my son and says he gets no more choices so <laughs> we've already chose for you. But uh, a few weeks ago me and Emma started kind of having a conversation about her faith and that she wanted to be baptized and she never has so this last week she said it's time. So you ready? All right, repeat after me. I believe. I believe. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Son of the living God. Son of the living God. And I accept him. I accept him. To be my personal Lord and Savior. To be my personal Lord and Savior. Because of your confession, I'm now going to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins and gift of eternal life. something very specific this week in your prayer time would you just write harlan and emma's name down right in your phone put it in your bible whatever you need to do remember to pray for these guys this week because you guys know right this is when it gets hard this is when satan starts to attack and so pray for harlan and emma this week because this is this is incredible because god's going to do incredible things in the future but the attacks will, will continue to come hey thank you guys for being here today thanks for being a part of this let's get out of here and go love god and love people and watch him change the world have a great week
service will begin shortly, but we want to share a few announcements before we start. If you're visiting in person today for the first time, we would love to know that. So on your way out, stop by our I'm New Wall, located in the lobby. We have a little gift for you. Christian, how's my family doing out there? Man, I think everybody came to the 930 service today. That thing was plumb full, but hey, I know you guys are going to sing loud. You got a lot to be thankful for like I do. Amen. As we stand to our feet, we just want to just give God praise. Let's just sing about how unstoppable our God is. Come on. Faith commanded in the mountain. 
Majestic. In Psalms 8, let me read this to you. David was uh, saying this. He said, Oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name, and it fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens, and you have taught the children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all that oppose you. And when I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers and the moon and the stars that you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think of them? Human beings that, should, that you should even care. Yet you made them only just a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. And you gave them, cha them charge of everything that you made, putting all things under their authority, your authority. Amen. The flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea and everything that swims. Oh Lord, how majestic is your name. His name is great, amen. There's no one higher. No one higher, no one greater than you, God. Let's sing about that. Father, Creator, you hold our hearts together. There's no one higher than you. Redeemer, Defender, our great and mighty Savior. There's no one higher than you. You are always with us. Gracious to forgive us by your power, we've been set free. 
Come on, make some noise in this place. Can you just close your eyes right now? All over this place. It's more than a song. It's more than a note that we lift. It's so much more. It's the attitude of our heart when we come into this place. God desires to know you. The majestic creator of this world desires to know you. And there's no other way that we can show the love that we have for our God and our creator. No other way that brings joy to him. Heavenly Father, let the sound that we create out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth opens wide and proclaims the glory that you are, and the power that you are, and the praises that you deserve, God. Even to the point where you said, if no one speaks, if no one cries out to me, I will command these rocks to cry out. Because that's how much he's worthy of praise. So when we come into this place, he deserves all that we have. Even when we don't feel like it. Even when we don't have a reason to celebrate, he's worthy. Because he loves you. He loves me. There is no one higher than our God. There is no one greater than you. Let my life forever praise the glory of your name. There is no one higher than you. Oh, there is no higher than you. Oh, there is no higher than you. You just take 10 seconds to just verbally just tell the Lord how grateful you are to Him. We love you, Lord. You're worthy of all praise, all power. For you to be exalted above all things, God. tear down every stronghold in this place God every stronghold that wants to come against families and marriages God Lord this series Father is not for accident but Lord we need you we need you to move on the behalf of the husbands and on the wives and on the children God and on the grandparents God Lord we need you to show yourself strong in our lives Because you are the strength of our lives, God. Let my life forever praise the glory of your name. There is no one higher than you. You give him praise. He's worthy. Come on. Let's shout aloud his praises. Thank you, Lord. We're worthy.
you're worthy. Amen. Thank you, God. You can be seated. If I were to tell you that today on the way home uh, from church, that there's a 50% chance that you could be in a serious car accident, what'd you think? How would you react? (laughs) Stay here. Wait till everybody else gets out of here, right? Like you would be extra vigilant, wouldn't you? You, you would, you would pay more attention than you normally do. Have you guys ever uh, been driving somewhere, somewhere that you're familiar with, like from maybe here to home or from home to to work or whatever. And like you kind of daydream and you don't even remember like the last five miles. (laughs) It's kind of dangerous, right? Like you wouldn't do that today because you're like, there's a 50% chance that something bad could happen in the next 20 minutes. Well, what if I were to tell you, hey, uh, you go on uh, a vacation this summer with your family, you go to the beach, there's a 50% chance if you get in that water, you're going to get attacked by a shark. Who's getting in? No. A couple of you are like, I'm still going, right? I'm still getting in. I'm looking around going, where's the other guy? Like, he's the one, right? And I'm going to like, if I see a shark come, I'm going to push him out, right? Or whatever. And, and so if, if I were to say that, like, those aren't very good odds. You're going to avoid situations like that if you say, there's like there's a 50% chance that something bad could happen. So when we hear a statistic, a famous statistic like this, that says 50% of marriages are this end in divorce. You hear that and you're like, well, why in the world would we, why would we want to be a part of something like that? Let's just forego that because it doesn't seem like it's working out. And so this morning, here's what I want to do when we're talking about building a marriage and what it looks like to build a marriage and to get married. Let's have a conversation, a real conversation about how God sees this um, and what he has designed and what he's intended and how we've just, if we can all just be honest, we've messed this up. We, we've really messed this up over time because like we, we can't seem to whatever, for whatever reason get this right. And so sometimes people may just ask the question, well, why bother with, ma- with marriage? Here's a startling statistic. You may not know this one. I, I found this to be kind of alarming. Second and third marriages have a higher rate of failure than first marriages. 67% of second marriages end in divorce and 73% of third marriages. It's like if you don't get it right the first time... Second and third, you're, the, 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 the numbers are not in your favor. And so why, why do we get this wrong so much in our society, in our world? 66% of men and 74% of women think that their spouse should have worked harder to save their marriage. 
that they're saying that there's this sense of a lack of commitment, which kind of bleeds right into this third one. 75% of individuals and couples said that they, they cited a lack, just a general lack of commitment above infidelity, above anything else, just a general lack of, 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 of just not being committed anymore, of just kind of getting to a place where it's like, all right, this really isn't working out for me anymore. Is it working out for you? And they're like, no, it's not really working out for me either. You got, you just want to call it a, call it a ball game and we'll go our separate ways. And like, yeah, that sounds good. And so that's, that's what a lot of people seem to be doing. And so if, if two thirds of people who get divorced say that, you know, the general, generally speaking, it was just this lack of commitment. Then what are we, what are we missing? How, how are we viewing this? Wrong? What did God intend for this? What are we doing to, to, to mess this all up? <laughs> I was thinking about this this week. You know, if, if, the, if you were going to just give up, right? It's kind of like driving your car and then it runs out of gas and you're like, well, I guess it's time to sell the car. <laughs> you wouldn't do that. You go fill the tank back up. And continue on. So in your marriage, when it's like, all right, the love, the love tanks a little low, let's figure out some things here, spouse, to like get this back, right? And not just kind of throw it away and move on. Because that's what the world does, right? And so for us, here's, here's, here's how I am approaching today. I'm assuming that for the most part, everyone that's here is a follower of Christ, uh, has a desire to be a follower of Christ, is at least um, considering the, the, the option of following Christ. So you're interested in what Christ has for us in our relationships and in our marriage. And so that's what we're gonna, what we're gonna focus on this morning. Here's what I wanna do. I want to give you three things. These are three things that I've kind of gleaned from, gosh, from, from books and videos and other pastors and other things. Cause like everybody's got a sermon series. Everybody's got, everybody's got a book. Everybody's like on marriage. And so there's so much stuff. So I've read so much stuff over the last two or three weeks. I hope it, hope it causes me to be a better husband. We'll see. You'll have to ask Melinda in two or three weeks. I don't know. Right. But I've read some. And so I've just, all right, here are three things. Like these are like, we can just take parts of these. So here's my, here's my deal today. I want you, I realize that like there's gonna be some stuff here like all right that doesn't apply to me but maybe there's a nugget maybe there's a piece maybe there's a sentence maybe there's a thought maybe there's something that you can take today because here's the deal whether you're married um have been married um you're not married but you wish you were married you're married but wish you weren't okay hopefully that's not the case but like you know what i mean like what whatever if you're young and you're like hey one day i'd like to get married or or, or whatever right you're you we all are we know people that are married if you're not married you love people that are married Mar- marriages have affected your life Divorce has affected your life in some, for chance, most of us, right, in some way, fashion, or form. And so this is important for all of us, whether you're a kid, or whether you're an adult, whether you're single, whether you're married. And so hopefully today you'll glean just a little bit uh, of something out of what we're going to share in the next few moments. And so, so I want to give you, like I said, those three things. One's going to be practical, very practical. It'll be the first one here. And then the other two are going to be very spiritual in nature that I hope you'll, you'll take with you today. So if we're going to build a marriage that lasts, one of the things I think we need to, to really focus on is pursuing our spouse's heart. You know, pursuit in the beginning is this really exciting thing, right? When you're pursuing someone, guys, you remember when she was playing hard to get and you're like, all right, this is fun. 
This is fun. This ball game on, right? Like this is a challenge. Guys love the challenge. Guys love the pursuit. And so, like, and as you remember, like when you were playing hard to get, and you're like, I like, I like it that he's pursuing me. I like it that he's putting on the full court. I like that he's doing all these things. And, and it's like there are these emotions and these feelings and all this stuff, and you just can't. Like, there's a season where it aches when you're not in their presence. You know, it's like you go home, you're on the phone and you're like, no, you hang up first. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. Right. And you lay there and you're like, you fall asleep on the, all that crazy stuff that people that are in love do right in the, in the initial stages. And it's like, it's so wonderful and beautiful and unique and different. And it's like, I've never felt this way before. And it's like, there's this, it's bad theology, but it's like people, I'm falling in love. Right. I found the one, all this stuff. Right. And so when, when the pursuit is on, it's like, okay, this is fun. But then when you get the girl, when you get the guy, it's for whatever reason, we just say, okay, pursuit over, like ball game over, life over, like just just put like Paul, you know, like cruise control the rest of the way and hope we just kind of like on fumes, get to the finish line. One of us is going to die. And then the other one, will, you know what, like in 50, 60 years from now, whatever. Right. And it's like that kind of a thing. And so if we don't pay attention and pursue our spouse's heart, like it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Think about this. What, what other area in your life can you just ignore it? And it get better. Can you ignore your physical body and say, you know, I'd really, I'd really like to, to you know, have a, have a have, be a healthier person, um, and just never, you know, go to the gym or go on a walk, or you're just eating everything in sight and think that your body's going to get better. Like I can look at a donut and gain two pounds, right? And so you're like, all right, so you have to focus on this and go. I'm going to stay away from this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to exercise. Like that's when things start to get better because you focus on it. If you ignore it, you know, you have heart attack, you're, you're, you know, life ends early. You're like, whatever, boop, it's over. Think about your a small business, maybe if you're a small business owner and you customer service and you're like, you know what? Nah, customer service, not that important. We're just going to like, we're not, we don't care about the serp, the customer. We're not going to serve them. We're not going to, we're not going to listen to them. We're, we're going to just be rude and mean. Like if you, if you just treat customers that way, your, your, your business is going to go in the tank pretty fast. Your yard, you know, if you say, you know what? I'm not going to mow the yard this year. We'll take a year off. You know, no watering, no fertilizing, no, 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 but you have plants, no, no mulch, you know, no, we're not planting new trees, we're not doing anything, and we're not, we're not touch the yard. By about, oh, I don't know, June or July, your neighbors are going to be like, hey, dude, is, are you all dead in there? Like, what, right? Like, what happened? Like, you're going to get letters in the mail from the, the home, homeowners association, all this stuff, right? It's going to look like a jungle because you neglected your yard. And so why would we think that our marriages would be any different if we just neglect them? We say, well, I got her. She ain't going anywhere, right? And that's not what God wants for us. God wants us to, to pursue each other with, with certain things. And I want to be very specific today because here's what I'm still learning after 20 years of marriage is that your words matter. <laughs> your words, the words that you, you share with your spouse really matters. What my wife taught me years ago, and I've, I think I've gotten better, is that your your tone is what's really important, guys. Have you, have you guys figured this out? Have you figured this out? Like your tone. It's not necessarily as, as what you say, but it's like how you say it. And, and I have to admit, I was, you know, when I was in my 20s, I, I didn't really think about tone. I just said whatever I thought, whatever. But then when I got married, it's like, you know, it's like not as much what you say, but it's how you say it. And I was like, who cares about how I say it? It's just what I, right? It's the difference between how men and women think about these things. And so the, the, your words matter, the way you say these things what matter. So pursue each other with, with words is the first thing I want to just give you as a practical thing. And when you think something good, say it. 
When you think something good, say it. There are times where Melinda and I, we'll be here to go out on a Friday night to dinner, just the two of us, and I'll, I'll look at her, and she's got her hair a certain way, she's got on a certain like dress or outfit or whatever, and I'm like, you look, you look, you look really cute tonight, you look really pretty. And like, I know when I say that, because she said, thank you, for, thank you for noticing that. And then she said, you don't say that very often, and I'm like, oh, I guess I should say that more often. And, but there have been a lot of other times when I've thought it, and I just didn't say it. And I'm like, God, I, I, need, I don't need to rob someone I love of, of, of a, a word of, of affirmation because I, when I see something that's, that's good, when I think something that's good, I should say it. So men, here's the first thing. Pursue her with words of affection. Pursue her with words of affection. What, what does she mean to you? Treasure her for who she is. Say things like, I love you because, dot, 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 right? I love you because. So, so women want to hear th- that we love them and why we love them, and what, what they provide for the family, what they do for us. I, I, I love you because I've noticed you doing this. Or I love you because you are this kind of a person. I love you because you're the, you, you, you round off my hard edges. You're the soft landing spot for our boys when I'm harsh and hard. You know, whatever it is, right? And so you men pursue her with, with words of affection. Uh, uh, ladies, here's what you need to do. Pursue him with words of affirmation. Can I just pull the curtain, ladies, can I just pull the curtain back a little bit with the guys in the room for a second? And most of the guys, some of you guys may not agree with this, and that's fine because you're, you're a lot cooler and stronger than I am. But here's the deal. Most guys, most men are really insecure. They're really insecure. Like we don't think um, we're good enough. We don't think we make enough money. Uh, We think we could be better husbands and better fathers. We know the things that are in our hearts and our minds. We we know things that, that we would never share with anyone else. And so we're just really insecure. I, every time I stand up here and look at you guys, I'm really insecure. Like, because I'm like, if they really knew me, they would not let me stand on that stage, all right? You know, like I can't, so, so we're just really insecure. And so here's what we need from you. We, and I can speak a lot more to this side of it because I'm not a woman, but um, here's what we need from you on the men's side of things. Um, we just need you to, to build us up and to look for the positive. Here's what the world's doing. The world's going to focus on, the world's, you, sometimes your husband comes home and it's just like, you can just see it on his face. He's like, he's just, he's been beat down by that day or that week or that month or that year or that season. And it's like, he doesn't need another person to tell him how inadequate he is or how, how, how he's not measuring up. He needs someone to come along and say, I believe in you. I love you. I'm proud of you. I see things, I see God doing things in you that, that I'm so proud of. Keep doing that. I love it when you say that or do that or lead in that way. Magnify those things in your husband. Pour into him in those ways and affirm him in those ways because that's, that's what he needs because we're insecure. And we're not going to look at you and go, hey, honey, I'm really insecure. I need you to build me up. But we're not going to do that, right? That's not going to happen. But, but here's what happens. I, I can preach a sermon and do this on a Sunday morning and I can come off the stage or, or go home and my wife will text me or whatever. We'll go home. And she was like, that was, that was really good today. You, I thought that, I think that was very helpful for, to a lot of people. And I really enjoyed that. I think it was really good stuff. And, and, and that means a lot to me. You could come up to me after church and be like, that was the worst sermon I ever heard. I don't care. My wife loved it. Like, I don't care what you thought. Right. And so she, that her, here, here's why her, her um, opinion of me matters more because a lot of you don't really even know me. You think I'm a good person. 
hey, he's a pastor, he's on stage, he's preaching, he must be a good dude. And so you assume that, but she knows the good, the bad, the ugly, the dark. She knows more than any. And so when she says, hey, I still think you're a good guy. I still think you do a good job. I still believe in you. Man, that means so much more to me than anything you could say. So I, I would really still appreciate it. If you, if, if you want to encourage me, please feel free to do that. But just kind of know where it ranks in the, in the world, right? In, in my world. Uh, and so here's what women say. Here's what, what, look at this next one. Women want to know, do you love me today? Do you love me today? You're like, dude, I stood up before God and our family and everybody 20 years ago and I told you I loved you. If it changes, I'll let you know, right? That's kind of how guys think. Like if, if, that, if our status changes, I'll let you know. But that's not how women want to, they want to know like, like today, like well, how, why do you love me? How do you love me? Like I want to hear that on a regular basis. That's, that's what speaks to So pursue her with, with words of, of affection. Uh, men want to hear this. They want to hear, do you believe in me today? Do you believe in me? Right? Do you believe, are you, are you, are you going to follow, follow me? Do you believe that I, I have what it takes to lead our home? Right? And to go out into the world and create a life and to build a life and to do the things that, that I need to do, that we need to do to provide. Do you believe in me? And so the men, men need the respect. They need that affirmation. And so, so we pursue each other with, with these kind of words. And so that, that, that's what we do. Here, here's what you need to understand. God created us to be multipliers. Repeatedly in Scripture, God tells his creation to be fruitful and multiply. And so, wives, when you speak into your husband and you build him up with encouragement, he will become more the man of God that, that you want him to be, but more importantly, that, that God wants him to be. The blessings you pour into him will multiply Husbands, if you give your wife love, if you spend time with her, if you, if you spend a lot of good quality time with your wives, here's what she's going to, she's a multiplier, right? She has this innate ability that God has only given her. She will multiply and make more people, right? She will, she will, she will make more people that will, will walk on this earth. She will bless you. If she's been, she will bless you with more, with children, and these people come forth. I mean, she's a multiplier of that. But here's the other side of that too. Guys, if you give your wives a hard time, if you give your wife a hard time, she's going to multiply that too. And she's going to give you hell, right? She will multiply that too. So what are, what are you giving? What are you, what are you giving in these relationships? And so we, we pursue each other with words of affection and words of affirmation. I love these. these are, this is some, so much truth here. If, if you don't like what you're getting in your marriage, look at what you're giving. Right? I guess I'm really, I'm not really feeling it right now in this season. We've been married for a few years and it's like, I don't know what I'm getting. From, what are you giving? Like, what's like, is this not just, this not just a one-way deal, right? Well, what, what are you getting? And your marriage will be a result of thousands upon thousands of little moments and little choices that you make. Usually it's not this big thing that blows it all up. And that causes a divorce. It's, it's, it, sometimes it is, but a lot of times it's just like moment after moment after season after choice after word after deed after thing that just like a, takes a chunk out of the heart. Takes another little chunk and another little chunk and a l- another little piece of the relationship. And you wake up one day and you feel like this vast chasm between you and your spouse. And it's like, it didn't happen overnight. But it was built, these things happen. And so the negative of that is true, thousands about thousands of things, but also the positive that can be true too. Just little moments, little choices. And then the third one is this, your marriage will be as good as you both want it, want it to be and as bad as you both allow it to be. Right? Are, are, are you both fighting for this? 
Are you both striving for this? Do you both, you have the, the same focus and the same intensity and the same energy in the middle of this. And so it's going to be as good as you both want it to be and bad as you both allow it to be. And so when, you, when, when marriage is the 75% of folks that said, it, we, just, we just kind of, we're not committed anymore. And you look around and go, well, who, who share, who's blind, whose fault is that? Well, it's both, right? And so there's this thing that we have to work at and focus on and we can't neglect. And so I want to go back to Genesis chapter 2 because kind of the focus, the kind of the cornerstone and the foundational piece of this whole series, Bobby shared with the first week, Dave mentioned again last week, I want to kind of go back to that this week, is Genesis chapter 2. And here's, here's what, just to remind you, it says, then the Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone, right? I will make him a helper who is just right for him. And then look at the next one. Verse 21 says, so the Lord caused the man to, to fall into sleep, right? While the man was, uh, was asleep, he took a rib out of his opening, um, the man's side, his opening, and the Lord made a woman from this rib. He brought her to the man. And then I love, this is the part I love, this next verse. He says, at last, right? He says, at last. It's like this idea, God's creating, God's designing, and this is, God's making all this stuff, and he's making, he's making the stars, and the moon, and, and the sun, and the water, and the earth, and he's made man, and he's made the animals, and it's like he made, you know, Adam's like, all right, God, you made the, you made the giraffe. That was cool with the long neck, you know. You made the, the elephant with that big funny-looking nose. And, and the porcupine, I'm still kind of confused about the porcupine. And then the skunk kind of smells weird. All right, but whatever. And, but then at last, now we're talking, God. Like, this is, this is something we can work with, right? And he explained, this one is, this is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she is taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united in oneness. The two are united in one. God here is creating the concept of marriage. He defines it. He came up with it. This is this is God's idea. Marriage is of God. The, the state didn't come up with it. A politician didn't come up with it. An ancient culture didn't come up with it. It came from God. It's his. It's his idea. It's his concept. He, he made it for us. And so he gets to make the rules. He gets to define it. We, it's hard, right? It's difficult at times. Marriage is, is tough. Building a life together is tough. And so because it's hard, the world has kind of said, you know, this isn't really working out for us. It's too hard. It doesn't really make sense. It's not what my heart is telling me. And so I'm going to go do this other thing. I'm, we're going to define it in this way or this way or, or this or this. And so, and so the world has tried to, to, to redefine all of this. And it's not what God intended. This is, the, this is the definition. This is the intent. So God intended marriage to be a, a covenant made between a man and a woman and a promise that's kept forever. We're going to talk about what a covenant is this morning. Marriage is this idea, and, and this, his idea, and he gets to make all the rules. Here's what you wouldn't do. You wouldn't do this. You wouldn't take a marriage advice from your buddy at work who's like on his third marriage, would you? You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't look at that guy. And go, he's got it all figured out. I'm gonna go see what he's got to say about this. You wouldn't do that. You, you wouldn't. You wouldn't take financial advice from your neighbor who just had his truck repoed. 
<laughs> right? You wouldn't do that. You're like, I don't know if he's got his life together over there. I don't know what's going on. Something, something, something be missing over there, right? So, so here's the deal. Don't, don't take marriage advice from, 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 from those kind of people. Wise people look to the creator and to the designer for the answers. God, you created this. You designed this. You came up with this. Let's look to you. We're not going to look to a dark world that has corrupted God's divine intention for marriage. We're going to look to God himself. God, what do you, why did you do this? Why do you want us to, to behave this way? Why do you want us to, to, to have families and, to, and, to, and to, to raise kids and to be fruitful and multiply? Why, why do you want us to be husband and wife and live in this way? What is it about this, God? Why do you want this for us? And so we seek God's word and we figure out, ask tough questions, say, God, what is it in the middle of, of what you're doing when you created us and when you created all this, what did you intend? And so here's the, here's the first kind of spiritual thing I want to share with you this morning uh, that you can maybe take home with you. Here, here's what I want to encourage you with. I want to talk about Christ-centered marriages. A Christ-centered marriage consists of two people who are seeking the one, right? Who are seeking Jesus, who are focused on, not on themselves, not necessarily even on their marriage. We'll look at that here in a second too, but you're focused on, on Jesus. He's, he's the one. There's a, a old movie, I think it came out in the mid nineties, Jerry Maguire. And this is really the first time I remember kind of this concept kind of being out in the public, kind of being in the public consciousness of people talking about this. Because we're always, you know, there's always this search of like, I've got to find my soulmate, right? And I've got to find the one. And like, there's, where's, who's, who's the one? Like, they, like, she's the one. He's the one. This is the one. This is the person that I've, I've uh, like, this is my soulmate. Now, I think I've said this before in here. If, if we all, if this is true, if that's true, then think about it. If the first time someone doesn't match up with their soulmate, it knocks it all off for the rest of us. Right? Think about it. Like if the first time somebody doesn't marry their soulmate, well then, like if they married your soulmate, then you married somebody else's soulmate. Right? So it doesn't really, that, that's bad theology. And I love that in the movie, here's what happens in the movie. Uh, in, in Jerry Maguire, this next slide. Go back one. There we go. Jerry, uh, Tom Cruise is here, and he's doing all of his Tom Cruise stuff, right? He's, he's got the Tom Cruise eyes, and he's got the Tom Cruise intense like look, and he's like, you know, only Tom Cruise can do this, right? And he's standing in the living room with R- R- Renee Zellweger, and, and, and he looks at her, and they're they're content, you know, all this stuff, and he looks at her, and he's like, Yo, you're you're the one, you're my son, you complete me, right? And it's this whole idea that like you need this other person. To make you whole. Here's the deal. Don't put the weight of that on someone else. <laughs> to, to complete you. To fix you. To make you whole. To com- that, that, that is bad theology. The only one that completes us is Jesus Christ himself. And so don't, don't look for another person to do that. Because they're not going to live up to that. And so when you, when you meet an amazing person, a person that you say, you know, I'm, may, I, I'm thinking about maybe, maybe this is the person I want to spend the rest of my life with. Maybe this person I want to marry. Here's what you need to share with your friends and family members. You go home to your mom and dad and say, I've met the two. Not I've met the one, but I've met the two. I've met, the, I've met number two. Because in a christ in a relationship, Jesus is the one and your spouse is the two. All right, if we get this right, we, we won't be a statistic. If we get this right, we, we, we won't be a statistic. 
And so when Jesus Christ is the one, he, he's the most important thing, and then your spouse comes next, man, now, now some things can really happen. God can really do some things in your life and in your marriage. When you, one of the things we need to realize is that you're not your spouse's savior. You're not their savior. But you can help keep them focused on the one who is as you journey along beside them in life. Look at how Jesus describes when he says, what's the, what's the most important? What's it look like to be Christ-centered? What's it look like to be focused on, on God? How do, we, how do we get this right, Jesus? Here's what Jesus said. Look at this. The teacher, the teacher said this, or someone said this to Jesus. Now, teacher, next slide here. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? What's the most important thing? What do we have to get right, Jesus? Like, if you could boil all of it down, there's over 600 laws and rules for the Jewish people, but if you could just boil it down to like, what's the, what, what do we, just give me, a, give me a nugget to walk away with, Jesus. Here's what Jesus says. You must love the Lord your God. Look at the, listen, listen to the totality, listen to the completeness, listen to the, uh, the intensity of, of this statement. You must love the Lord your God eh, whenever you feel like it. Whenever, whenever it's cool, whenever it's convenient. No, no, no. With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, your heart, your soul, your mind, all of it. Jesus says, I want it all focused on me. Focus on me. And when you can do that, when you can have this Christ-centered Life that leads to this Christ-centered relationship, some powerful things can happen. I want you to look at this circle diagram here. There is something, there is something that's in the center of your life as you sit here today that you would say, this is at the core. This is my focus. This is what I'm consumed with. This is where my attention and my time and my money, like this is my thing. Like this is what I'm focused on. And so for all of us, it could be a different answer. But there is something that is at the center of your life and whatever that is, look at the next one here. That whatever that is, it's going to drive your values and your beliefs. Whatever you, whatever you answer this question with is going to drive your values and beliefs. The next one is this. It's going to also drive your actions and your decisions. Your actions, your decisions, your values, and your beliefs are all going to be driven by whatever you put at the center of this. And then that's going to have an influence and impact in your life and in other people's lives. And so what is it that's at the center of your life today? It, it could be a lot of things. Let me just suggest a few things that, that maybe would, would touch a, a lot of different people. Look at the, this next one. Sometimes it's ourselves, right? It's self. You ever been in a relationship? Maybe it's a, maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a, a work relationship. Maybe it's your best friend where it, the other, it was like the, the other person was so self-centered that everything had to revolve around them. That is not a fun relationship to be in. That is a toxic place to be, right? You do not want to be in a relationship where it seems like it's all, like the only one that matters in this relationship is them, right? And so when we're self-centered, it's such a short-sighted place to be because your values, your beliefs, your actions, your decisions, your influence and impact is going to be so short-sighted if it's yourself. Another one is this next one, kids. There are well-intentioned parents who, who love their kids, right? Who love their kids, and want their, want their kids to have everything maybe that they didn't have. Maybe they didn't grow up with a, with a loving mother and a loving father. And so they, when they had kids, they say, all right, I'm going to do everything for my kids that I didn't have growing up. And so all the focus, all the attention, uh, the calendar, the money, it all revolves around the kids. 
their wants and their desires, right? What they get. Kids eat first, right? Kids always eat first in your family, in, in these kind of relationships. And everybody, everything else kind of gets the scraps. And then if this is your marriage, if this is your, your, the life that you're living, one day, they, hopefully, 18, 19, 20, 25, whatever, they leave, right? And then you look at your wife, you look at your husband, like, what do we do now? Well, we haven't really focused on each other for the last 25 years, so we feel this real vast disconnect. And so, you know what, maybe we should just kind of go do our own thing now. Yeah, that sounds good. You go, see ya. Thanks, good luck. It's been a good, good life, right? Because we, we didn't, we focused on, this was the center of our universe, you, you can see this, like, kids know this. Kids, they know this from the get-go. You ever seen a two-year-old have her daddy wrapped around her little pinky? Right? They, they can pick, they know this from like two. They're like, all right, I'm in charge around here. Right? I'm calling the shots. Whatever I want. This is about me. Right? The best thing you can do in your relate, in, in, for your kids is build a relationship with your spouse. Because here's what you want. You want them to look at your, your, your relationship and go, if you have a daughter and you're, 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 a, you're, a, you're, you're, the, you're a dad and your husband and your, your focus is on Christ, you, you want your daughter to look for a man who's focused on Christ, who loves his wife and puts that first. All right, kids come next. You love them, but you got to sit over in the corner and be quiet. Mom and dad are talking, right? And, and so what's your focus? Here's another one lifestyle, right? It's like, what, well, if your lifestyle is going to be connected to your values, your beliefs, your actions, your decisions, your influence, like what kind of life for you? Like, all right, I want, I want, I want this kind of house. I want kind of, we're going to drive these kind of cars. We want our kids to go to these kind of schools. We're going to have these kind of friends. We want affluence, right? We, we want all these things. So we're going to build this kind of life. And so to do that, right? You, you, don't, you, you don't have a silver spoon in your mouth, so you're going to work hard. You're going to climb the corporate ladder, and you're going to work and work and work, and you're going to 50, 60, 70, and she's working, and you're both killing yourselves because of a lifestyle, right? And, and, and you get to the end of this, of this thing, and you retire, and you've got all this money in your 401k, and you look at each other, and you're like, we are so disconnected, right? Because the, the thing that we were focused on were these things. But if, if this last one, if it's Jesus, right, then, then this, is a whole different, this is a whole different conversation. And so when you're, Christ, when, you, when you're a Christ-centered, Jesus influences your values, your beliefs, which influence your actions and your decisions, and that's ultimately going to lead to a life of impact and fulfillment. And so that's what it looks like to have a Christ-centered life and marriage. Let me, let me say something to, to single people here real quick. If you desire a Christ-centered relationship one day, if you're a young person, you, 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 wanna, you, you want a marriage that, that is just centered on Christ, and because you know that's what God wants for you in your marriage, then, then start today. Have a Christ-centered relationship with Him today. If, if you plan on honoring God by putting Him first in your future marriage, honor God by, by putting Him first today. I had a conversation one time years ago with a college, a college guy, and we were, talk, we were talking about some really serious stuff, stuff that he'd been dealing with in his life at college, and he'd kind of gotten off track, and he'd been spending a lot of time, you know, he'd been with a lot of girls at college, and he was feeling guilty about all that. And I said, what do you want for, like, a marriage one day? What do you want for your future? And he's like, oh, I, want, I want to marry a, a girl that's a virgin. And I'm like, so you want her to save herself for marriage, but you're not doing that? Like, and so I, I said this in some kind of a variation of this. I said, dude, you're not going to build a life of righteousness in the future on a foundation of sin today, 
right? You're not going to build this life of righteousness in the future if you're just saying, oh, it's, I'm young and I'm seeing, I'm going to sow my wild oats. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And then like once I get, kind of start settling down, then I'm going to focus on on Jesus. Here's what I want to encourage you with. If you're, if you're single, if you're contemplating dating or dating or, or going to be dating in the next few years, don't, don't, don't wait for someone to complete you and then focus on Jesus in the future. Start doing that today. Don't give someone your heart if God doesn't already have theirs. Don't give somebody your heart if God doesn't already have theirs. If they aren't pursuing Jesus, then I would tell you they're not worth pursuing. If they're not pursuing Jesus, you want to find someone that's running as fast as they can toward Jesus, and you want to run alongside them. That's, that's the direction you want to be going. Here's what, that's the prayer that we have, right, for our boys. Like, I want, I, I, our boys, I want, I want them to, to, to find a younger, now I want her to be cute so we'll have cute grandkids, right? I want, like, I want that, that'd be kind of a nice bonus, but that's not the most important thing. I, I want them to love the Lord, first of all, because here's what I know. I know that if, if our sons will marry women that first and foremost love the Lord and love Jesus above all else, then there's a lot of drama we're not going to have to deal with in our family going forward, right? It's not going to be perfect. But if, you, if they marry women that love the Lord and are chasing after the Lord, man, that's, there's going to be such a blessing to our family. And whatever happens in the future happens, right? And so, so that's the kind of Christ-centered lives that, that we want to live, pursuing him. And so how do we do that? Well, we spend time with Jesus. We focus on him. Let me show you one more, one more diagram here. This is a focus center. We've used this before. I mean, you maybe have seen this in different variations. We use this in, in premarital counseling. It's just a good kind of mental picture, right? A picture of what this looks like. So it's, you know, a marriage starting out, husband and wife. This, uh, this line is, the, you know, obviously the connection between the two. Not, it's, it's not a negative thing, but this is kind of that you start out, right? And so this is the the different... The, the, the connection you have. And, and so if, if there's two people in this triangle that are focused on Christ at the top, look at what happens when one person, right, when the wife says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to pursue Jesus above all else. And so she starts saying, you know what, Jesus, the, the relationship I have with you, that's going to be the most important thing in my life. This is, this is it. I'm going to focus on this, right? And husband's over here. He's like, I don't know, my wife, she's kind of, she's, she's a Jesus freak now. I don't know what's going on, right? And so he's over here and he's lagging a little bit behind, but he kind of gets on board eventually and he starts focusing on Jesus, right? And so he's still got he's got a ways to go because we're slower and dumber and we figure out things later in life. And so she's over here and husband's over here, right? And so we're tracking, but see how we're tracking right in the same direction. And look what happens next, right? And so this, this connection, this, this closeness is closer. Now, as we head toward Jesus, we get closer to one another. And it's amazing what happens, right? When the focus is on Jesus, you, you end up at the top with one another, in relationship with him. That, that's an incredible thing to think about. So when we talk about what marriage looks like in God's view, here's what I want to share with you. It's a, this covenant-keeping idea. In the Bible, over and over, God is serious about relationships with people. And so when he is, he makes covenant promises. A covenant is a relationship between two partners who make binding promises to each other and work toward each other uh, for, to, for a common goal. They are often accompanied by oaths and signs and ceremonies. Covenants define obligations, not commitments. But they are different from a contract because they are relational and personal. Over and over in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, God makes a covenant. He makes a covenant with Noah. He makes a covenant with Abraham. He makes a covenant with Moses and David. He makes a covenant with us 
through Jesus. He makes these covenants. He makes these promises to his people. And so when God speaks of covenants, he's serious about them. And so when God established marriage, Christian marriage, this is God's view. It's this covenant that is binding and unbreakable and irrevocable. Let's go back to Genesis 2, 28. It says, says, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, right? She will be called woman because she has taken from this oneness. Do you see the oneness that happens here? Marriage establishes oneness. And so what Adam is making a theological statement here when he says this. Later, Jesus says this. He says, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning, all right? Jesus is saying, you guys remember back Genesis? Moses wrote this down. Remember, you've heard this. You've heard this in synagogue. He made them male and female. He said, for this reason, he shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, right? What, what God has joined together, let not man separate. If, if you, and, and this only applies if you did this. Because here's what you, you could do. If you wanted to say, you know what, we want to get married and we want it to just be like the civil thing and we want the state of Kentucky to recognize it, you could do that tomorrow and it would take $50 in about 10 minutes. You go downtown, you, get the, you pay the $50 for the marriage certificate, you both show up, you, you sign the thing, you have two people that say they're their witnesses, you get your buddy to get his uh, ordination service, uh, degree online, it takes probably 20 minutes, you stand to the side, I solemnly swear, he signs it, boom, you're done, you can walk out married. That's one way to do it. Good luck with that, by the way. <laughs> right? Or, and I suspect a lot of you have done this, or will do this, you'll stand someplace, maybe it's a church like this, maybe it's out by a lake, wherever, and you'll stand uh, and you'll invite the church in, you'll invite the pastor in, you'll invite all your friends in, you'll invite a bunch of people and you'll stand and he'll stand and you'll stand there and, and he'll talk about God and marriage and what this means and covenant and all these things and you invite God into this process, Right? And there's this proclamation that says, let not man separate what God has joined together. And so there's this worldly view of what marriage is. And there's this view of of the way God intended it. It's far different. It's not even in the same realm of reality, right? So God's purpose for marriage is different. And the way we view marriage is so important. And it's so serious to God. Mark 10. Jesus makes his primary purpose of marriage. He says this. He, he, he makes it clear. It's about two lives becoming one. And the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let not, no one split apart. Right? What God is doing together. Jesus says this over and over in the New Testament. And so when two Holy Spirit-filled people become one with each other, God enters the picture and his ultimate purpose for marriage is revealed. Here's the purpose of marriage. We're almost done. It's a, this picture of, of his love to a watching, waiting world. Your marriage should be this picture to a world that goes, that doesn't look like what we think marriage is, right? Like, this is different. Have you ever, have you ever met someone, maybe this is true in your family, with your grandparents, great grandparents, have you ever met someone who's been married for 40, 50, 60? I had a lady come up Thursday night, she said, my grandparents have been married for 71 years. (laughs) That's, that's a miracle, Right? Uh, if they were, if those two people were of the world, they would have gone their separate ways years ago. But they stood before God, 
And they stood before the, the church and they said, this is, this is a covenant. This isn't a contract. This isn't just an agreement between the two of us. This isn't like for the next, uh, you know, we'll see if it works out. You know, if it works out for 10, 15, 20 years, you know, but if it doesn't, we'll kind of go, no, nope, that, that's, not, that's, not that's not how this works. That's not how God sees this. And so God's purpose for marriage is, is to be this light into the darkness. Getting married should reveal his love, God's love to a world that, that is waiting, that, that is yet to know who he is. In your marriage ceremony, the moment we say, I do, we also say, I die. We put to death, death ourselves and we give life to another. There's this oneness. There's this holy thing that happens, this spiritual thing that only God could have come up with. When, when a man and a woman come together and they are one, there's this oneness that we are committed to in relationship with one another and with him. And so in closing, here's what I would just kind of like to share with you guys today. In, in a marriage, if you're going to build a marriage, look at this. If you want to build a marriage that lasts, never stop pursuing your spouse. Speak words of affection and affirmation toward them. If you want to build a marriage that thrives, keep Jesus at the center of everything. And if you want to build a marriage that stands the test of time, keep your covenant to your spouse and to your God. That's how we build a marriage. Would you guys pray with me? Lord God in heaven, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity of it in a confused world. God, we know that Satan loves to confuse us. He loves to, to tell us that, that the things that we know that are right, that are in your word, that, are, that, that, you, that we stand firm on. He, he likes to, to sh- try to shake that foundation and confuse us. Satan wants to sow seeds of confusion in our world today. He wants to do that with, young, or with our young people. He wants to do that in our relationships. He wants to do that wherever he can do that. But God, you're so clear. You're so clear. You're the designer and the creator of all of this. It is yours. It came from you. We belong to you. Our marriages belong to you. Our kids belong to you. It's all yours. And so we thank you. We thank you that that you give us the gift of life. You give us the gift of, of marriage. You give us the opportunity to, in another person, not be complete, but find someone that we can continue side by side to run towards Jesus with. That's what we want. God, that's, that's what, for, for every person in this room that, that finds themselves single today, but wishes, desires to be married, my prayer for them is that they would find someone that they could run alongside every single day into the arms of Jesus. That's what we want. That's what every single one of us desires. God, you do that. Do that in our marriages. Do that with our kids. Do that in us today. God, my prayer this, this morning is that if there's a person in this room that needs to give themselves to you today, that needs to, before we leave this place, give themselves in, in baptism to you, they would do that today. Like Harlan and, and Emma did in the first hour, God, if there's someone that needs to make that decision, they would do that this morning before we leave. God, I thank you for loving us. 
for always providing for us. I thank you for being a God who keeps his promises. We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you guys stand? We're going to move. Come get your communion. If you've come prepared to, to give in your tithes and offerings, do that as well. And then we'll get, come back to our seats and we'll share in communion together. If you'd like to talk to someone, pray with someone, Dave and Bobby and Jan will be up here. They'd love to, to pray with you. There's a place mercy reigns, never dies. There's a place streams of grace flow deep and wide.
Jesus. You guys can have a seat. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus is with his disciples and he institutes this new covenant, right? He institutes this new agreement, this new promise with his people. And he establishes communion. He establishes the time where we would stop, we would pause, we would remember what God's done, what he did on the cross. Luke says, this new covenant is established with the blood of Jesus. And so for us this morning, we are mindful of that. We remember what Jesus has done for us on the cross in that new covenant. And so we take this bread that reminds us of his body. When we drink this juice, there's a a representation of that blood that represented a new covenant with his people. Hey, thank you guys for uh, for being here today. I hope you guys have a great week. Like I mentioned before, we had two baptisms in the last service, Harlan and Emma, two young people. So that was a great celebration. So we're celebrating with them and their families today. Hey, you guys, let's get out of here. Let's go love God and love people. Watch them change the world. Have a great week.